Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We come to the end of our series called Israel's Greatest Philosopher. We've said that too often we go through life assuming the answers to life's biggest questions. What gives life satisfaction? How can I find meaning? What's the point of it all? Ecclesiastes gives answers that change how we see our lives and our place in this world. Today we're talking about how to live free of regrets. Pastor John Ortberg and Christian professor Dallas Willard shared a close friendship. And shortly before Willard's death due to cancer, Ortberg asked whether he regretted anything. He replied, I regret the time I've wasted. Ortberg was stunned. He said, if there's any human being who has not wasted time, it is Dallas Willard. I don't think he'd know what a tele television was if it hit him on the head. He is either reading or teaching or doing ministry or doing bits of carpentry around his house or mentoring students or praying. If he's guilty of wasting time, the rest of us may as well sign up for vagrancy hell right now. But later, Orberg reflected on what Willard may have meant. I think Dallas regretted all the time he wasted, not because he compared himself to other more efficient people, but because he began to see what life could be. I remember him saying that all of us lost souls allow ourselves to live in worry and anger and self-importance and pettiness when life with God is all around us. Will you look back with regret on the way that you're living right now? Will you regret years wasted worrying about things you don't need to worry about or relationships strained by anger, pride, or pettiness? Could it be that there are God-inspired opportunities around you right now that you just aren't looking for or just too distracted to see? I wish that Dallas Willard wrote to explain what he meant and give insight on what he would have done differently. But Ecclesiastes gives us something better. Later in his life, Solomon is looking back and trying to share what he learned. Today's passage gives us a roadmap and the motivation for life free of regrets. It teaches us to see that life with God all around us that Willard began to see. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ecclesiastes 11.1. If you don't have a Bible, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Life is sweet, and it's light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. 
Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. This is the Word of God. Now, this passage really ties together the conclusion to the philosopher's thesis and gives us three principles for a life free of regrets. The first is this. Take every opportunity because you don't know as much as you think. You don't need to wait for chances to fit your perfect formula of how they should be. And you don't need to be paralyzed by what you don't know. Take every opportunity because you don't know as much as you think. If you look at verses 1 to 6, the philosopher starts by reminding us how much we don't know. In verse 2, he says, you don't know what disaster may happen. Accidents are a part of life. In verse 5, he reminds us we don't know how the spirit enters the womb of a pregnant woman. We know a lot about biology, but there's so much we don't understand about life. Then in the rest of the verse, he adds that we know very little about how God works. Finally, in verse 6, he tells us we don't know what will work and what will fail. Will Bitcoin free us from big banks or bankrupt anyone it sucks in? Will Twitter save democracy or implode on itself? You and I don't know as much as we think. In another month or so, all the gurus will be confidently making their 2024 predictions. And more than half of them will be wrong. Life is unpredictable. We're not in charge. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. Some people believe the predictions or live as if there's some formula to win life. That's setting yourself up for disappointment and frustration. Back in the 90s, pastors were forever going to conferences where they were given 10 steps to grow your church to 1,000 or 10,000 people. But the formulas they returned with made them feel as if they could control their fortunes and orchestrate revival. It was a time of spiritual emptiness and profound dissatisfaction among many pastors. Thinking that there was a recipe to control life, focused them on the wrong things, robbed their joy, and made their ministries shallow. Some of you are tempted with the same mindset. The same mindset towards your career, your success, your parenting, your finances, your health, or your retirement. But the formulas don't always work. You can't always predict the outcome. Accidents are a part of life. We need to embrace what we don't know. Now, some people won't accept that, and they invite regret as a result. Other people go to the opposite extreme, though. <laughs> They're paralyzed by the unknowns. They think of all that could go wrong, and it keeps them from ever doing anything. Verse 4 says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now, there's no sense sowing seed in a windstorm because you won't plant evenly. And you don't want to harvest grain when it's raining because the crops will be all wet. But you can't always wait for perfect weather. Life is unpredictable and there are unknowns. But we can't let the risks keep us from the opportunities. If we wait until everything lines up with our perfect plan, the moment passes and we're left feeling regret. You're sitting there with a bag full of seed and thinking, well, at least none of it blew away in the wind. You end up like the person that Jesus rebuked for taking what his boss had given him to invest and hiding it in the ground because he was afraid that he might lose it. That's how your life ends in regret. 
Instead, the philosopher is saying, seize the opportunities, but keep your eyes open to the risks. So in verse one, he says, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. It's a reference to expanding your market in trade. Shipping was risky in the ancient Near East, but you can't live without risk. In the company I used to work for, I was in over my head on a project once and I blew a deadline. And the president just said, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And his point was, at least we had tried. At least we had aimed at something worthwhile. He wasn't reckless, but he knew that there were worse things than failing. The philosopher is making the same point. In verse two, he says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. We just say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's a similar point in verse six. There he says, in the morning sow your seed and in evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. There are no sure things. Life is unpredictable. But you have to try something. You need to seize the opportunities. Now we know from last week that we do so with wisdom and caution. We're careful to follow God's word, but we embrace the fact that we're not in control. Life is unpredictable, and a life free of risks isn't a life as God designed it. That's a life that ends in regret. So take every opportunity, because you don't know as much as you think. But also enjoy every opportunity, because life is shorter than you think. The principle here is that there's joy to be found in each chapter of life but only when we keep our eyes open to the destination. Enjoy every opportunity because life is shorter than you think. Now in this book of philosophy, does verse seven sound strange to anyone? We've been talking about expanding your opportunities and facing life's risks. And then in verse seven, it just says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It reminds us of the very first words that God speaks in scripture. All the way back in Genesis 1 verse 3, God declares, let there be light. And there was light. And then what did God say? And God saw the light was good. Here, the philosopher is enjoying the light and reflecting on the beauty of the sun. And we're reminded as we've been reminded throughout Ecclesiastes that joy comes in the simple things we can take part in today. Joy comes in a, in a sunset or a meal, a relationship or the privilege of work. But we struggle to believe that. The world keeps telling us that we can't be happy unless we're rich, successful and have a perfect body. And we believe it. That's why we're always amazed when the studies come back saying that people in some of the poorest nations are among the happiest in the world. And the rich and the beautiful celebrities we keep idolizing keep going from one meltdown to another. Reject the lie that says that joy is the reward you get when you achieve all your dreams. Here, verse 8, when it says this, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. God is inviting us to a sacred celebration of holy joy. But notice what comes next. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. He's saying the light is sweet, but there'll be a lot of dark nights. Life can be enjoyed, 
but it's like a puff of smoke. It's over before you know it. Believe it or not, those are encouragements to joy, not caveats on it. When you accept that dark days are coming, it makes the light ones all the more precious. When you see how short life is, it gives you an urgency to enjoy the moments that come. In light of death, everything about life becomes valuable. And the struggles and the challenges of life feel small in comparison. Now, while we all need reminders of this, young people get some extra encouragement. Notice in verse 9, that's where the philosopher says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. George Bernard Shaw is quoted as saying, Youth is wasted on the young. Now, that sounds insulting, but I think it reflects the challenges that youth have with this chapter. We've said you invite regret when you act like you know the formula for life. But that's exactly what we're all tempted to do when we're young. We've said that you invite regret when you ignore the risks or live in fear of them. But when you're starting your life, it's extra hard not to fall into one of those two extremes. You think you're invincible or you're afraid of falling on your face. We've said that you invite regret when you live as if you can't be happy unless you have it all. But young people are particularly bombarded with that message. Losing that game feels devastating when you're young. But the older people look on and think, I'd love to lose if I could just feel what it was like to move without arthritis again. A bad haircut, even a bad hair day, feels like a disaster when you're young. But the older guys are looking on thinking, oh, remember hair. Those were the days. Don't waste your youth or your young adult years, your middle age years, or your senior years. There's joy to be found in every chapter of our lives. So we've said, take every opportunity because you don't know as much as you think. Enjoy every opportunity because it's shorter than you think. And finally, remember God in every opportunity because you'll answer to him in judgment. Here the message is that joy and judgment actually go hand in hand. And putting God in the center of your pursuit of joy is what helps us to experience it. Remember God in every opportunity because you'll answer to him in judgment. Remember back in verse 9 when we read the encouragement for young people to find joy? Let's look at the continuation of that verse now. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, this probably isn't anyone's life verse, is it? There's something about the warped sense of our own humanity that we assume you need to sin to have a really good time. But the verse teaches us that joy and judgment can hold hands. Try and hear it through the ears of God's appeal to Adam and Eve. Look at the stars in the sea. Look at the mountains and the valleys. Look at the trees and the plants and the flowers. Look at the animals I've made. It's all so good. And companionship is even better. You can work, rest, and play. So take it all in. Marvel at it. Enjoy it all. It's just the fruit of this one tree you have to avoid. And how do they respond? They're like, God has to ruin everything. And we've been saying the same thing ever since. John 15, 10 and 11 is, is where Jesus said this. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's saying you're happiest when you're following Jesus and his will for your life. Maybe an affair feels good for a few hours or a few weeks, but it's followed by a lifetime of painful consequences. It's only when you're trying to make the most out of life in light of God's commands that you can experience fullness of joy without the regret. But it's not just the judgment that the philosopher wants us to remember. It's also how short life is. In verse 10, he says, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life for vanity. Some of you are thinking, I'd love to put away pain from my body, but my body doesn't seem to be cooperating. That's not what the verse is talking about. It's saying, stop doing the foolish things that have been, he, he's been warning about, the things that invite frustration and pain into our lives. And also, stop dwelling on the frustration and pain that you do experience. Life is too short for that. Your youth is too short for that. People can go through life complaining about the government, about injustice, about the economy, their spouse, beliefs, even about themselves. And they come to the end of their lives and they've missed all that's good in this world. They never learn to practice sacred celebration or holy joy. And the philosopher says, life's too short for that. Finally, in chapter 12, verse 1, we reach the climax of the passage. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I was talking with a new Christian once, and they said to me, do you believe that God really saves people who repent and trust Jesus on their deathbed? And I said, well, yeah, of course. And he said, that's really the way to do it then, isn't it? That way you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> Can you hear what's wrong with that? It assumes that sin really is the path to pleasure. It assumes Jesus just gives you heaven, but kind of a raw deal in the meantime. And I think a lot of people believe that. I think maybe some of us here this morning believe that. But the Bible says the opposite. Look at verse 1 again. There it's reminding us to remember God early in life. Get to know him as soon as you can. If you're a child or a teenager, you can get in on a joy that your friends will never know. And it comes as you build a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes as you learn to live with him at the center of a life of sacred joy. It comes as you give yourself to the fullness of life as God designed it. You could turn to him after decades of disregarding what he says and a lifetime of piling up sin's consequences and life's regrets, but why would you want to? You could try to get to know him when the tragedy hits and you can't cope on your own, but why would you want to? Why not seek to grow near to him now? Why not get it right the first time? Why not develop the kind of relationship with him while you're young so that you can lean on him and enjoy him when you're old? Dallas Willard faced the end of his life and regretted the time he'd wasted. 
He'd begun to see all that life could be, and he wished he'd grabbed more of it. He said, we allow ourselves to live in worry, anger, self-importance, and pettiness when life with God is all around us. Let's seize the opportunities that God provides. Let's enjoy the opportunities that he gives. And let's put Jesus in the center of every opportunity, because it's there that we can taste the fullness of joy with no regrets. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would deliver us from a life of regrets. Help us to acknowledge what we don't know. Help us to live on dependent, independence on you and not go through life following formulas. Give us the courage not to bury what you've called us to invest to give our lives in pursuit of things that matter. We pray, Father, for, for your help and for your strength to pursue the joy that you've called us to, to see it in the world around us and the beauty of what you've made. But as we do, Father, help us to put you in the center. Help us to seek a sacred celebration. Help us to seek holy joy. Help us to follow Jesus where he leads and to know that with him, there is fullness of joy and no regrets. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this message has helped you to see how God leads us in sacred celebration and holy joy and how it's in a relationship with him that we can know the fullness of his joy without regrets. Today's talk has stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, leave a comment, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.